Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of Intermediate English with me, Benjamin. This is a podcast for people learning English who want to learn about a particular topic at the same time. Today we're going to be talking about universities in the UK, how the system works and what it means both to the country and to the wider world. But first, I just want to thank you for all of the wonderful emails I've received over the past couple of weeks. It's really heartening to read your messages and I'd like to read out an email I received last week from Sophie. Hi Benjamin, my name is Sophie and I am French. I'm learning English because I am planning to move to London for a job. I just wanted to tell you that I really enjoy your podcast. It is the right level for me and before Intermediate English, I couldn't find something that wasn't too easy and wasn't too hard for me. Thank you very much for your work. The subjects are very interesting and varied. All the best, Sophie. Well, thank you for your message. It's really great to know that this podcast has been helping you. And I would say that your English is already very good. It's great that you're moving to London for a job. And I wish you all the best with your forthcoming projects and with your journey of learning English. So thank you, Sophie. If you'd like to send an email to Intermediate English, you can find the address in the show's description. Remember to tell us what topics you'd like to hear about in the future. many different university systems in the world, but the British university system, the higher education system in the UK, is one of the most significant and best known in the world. It plays a really important role in the British economy. Every year, around two and a half million students study at UK higher education institutions of some kind. And the university sector plays a really big role in the British economy. For example, it contributes around £21.5 billion to GDP. Now, GDP is the entire sum of production of a country. So, It's a pretty important figure for understanding how much a country produces. This £21.5 billion is 1.2% of the UK's GDP. But if you factor in the indirect impact, in other words, the impact of the students not only spending money on tuition fees, but also on their accommodation and on other parts of the economy, the universities generate around £95 billion 
in output for the economy. So over four times more. The higher education sector supports almost a million jobs in the UK. So it plays a really important part in British society. But it also plays a really important part in the world. British universities have lots of links with other universities around the world, and they are internationally recognised for the quality of the education that they offer. The global nature of the British higher education sector is reflected in the fact that so many international students come to study in the UK every year. So out of that two and a half million students studying every year in the UK, about half a million of them come from outside of the UK. education system in the UK that makes it quite different from a number of other systems is that people don't tend to study in their own town or in their local town or city. It's quite normal for students in the UK to go to university in cities really far away from where they grew up or where they went to school. So it's not only external migration, people coming from outside the UK, but there's also an internal migration inside the UK, meaning that when people go to university, they are often going quite a long way to do that. In a number of European countries, it's more common to go to university in a city reasonably near to where you're from. That's not always the case, but there's certainly more of a trend towards that in Europe. Whereas in the UK, if you grow up in London, for example, you may well consider going to university in Edinburgh or Manchester or Exeter. All of these places are a few hours at least from London, but that's pretty common. Of course, a number of students choose to go to a university near their home, perhaps for financial reasons, or perhaps because it's the university that they just really want to go to. But definitely in the UK, the idea of going to university is also connected with the idea of leaving home and of going somewhere new and starting your independent life away from your parents. Another thing that is a feature of the UK university sector is that while it offers a really high standard of education, you should be aware that it's pretty expensive. The government doesn't directly fund tuition fees, the fees that you pay to study at a university. It doesn't directly fund tuition fees as much as it used to, um, and nowhere near as much as other European countries where tuition fees are free or very, very low. Especially as an international student, you can often find that you are paying higher tuition fees than UK students. That's not always the case, but it is often the case, and it can be very expensive to study in the UK, 
depending on where you're applying and what kind of course you're applying for. The ways around this are through grants and scholarships. The difference between these two is that a grant is offered based on your financial need. In other words, you apply for a grant, you send off information about yourself and your financial background, and if you are considered to be in need of financial support, you may be able to get a grant. Some universities offer their own grant systems, but very often these grants are offered by charities or other organisations which want to support students in their studies. The other word I mentioned was scholarships. Scholarships are awarded based on academic achievement or some other mark of achievement. So you might have a scholarship because you passed a particular exam or because you fulfill certain criteria for the scholarship. Some scholarships are very targeted at people coming from a particular country and studying a particular course. But normally a scholarship requires a certain level of academic achievement either before you start your university course or during it. Again, there is no clear summary of this system, so this is a pretty rough overview of how this works, and the individual cases can be very different. But in general, that's what grants are and what scholarships are. There are some financial benefits to being a student in the UK. You often qualify for cheaper transport. You can open student bank accounts and get perhaps better rates or better deals. You don't have to pay income tax in the UK. But bear in mind that a lot of student visas, so the document you need to apply for to come to the UK and be a student, A lot of student visas restrict you from earning money, which means that you can't work at the same time as doing your degree. That's not always the case, but it often is the case. So it's really worth looking into how you would be able to fund your studies in the UK. The majority of students in the UK take out a student loan In other words, they have their tuition fees paid for and they get a substantial contribution for their living expenses, so accommodation and food and so on. But they are expected to pay this back later on in life when they're earning more money. These student loans allow a lot of people to go to university when they don't have the money up front. Having said that, if you do a three-year course and take out a student loan, it would be pretty easy to come out of university with £50,000 of student debt, which you then pay back throughout the rest of your life. And that can be a pretty big burden on a lot of people. So maybe you're wondering what student life is like in the UK. Well, most universities have different campuses 
And a campus is a place where you study and where different university faculties will be housed. So a faculty might be the faculty of humanities or of science or art or a medical school. So universities often have multiple campuses which are perhaps in different parts of the city. They could even be in different cities from each other. You might have your lectures in a certain campus, which means that it's better to be living in this part of the city or that part of the city. So a campus is where you would go to have your lectures, and it's possible that you have student accommodation in that campus as well. Student accommodation is sometimes called halls of residence, so you might have your halls of residence in this campus or that campus. Alongside lectures, you also have seminars, which are groups where you discuss, a bit like a class, but there's more responsibility on the student to discuss and to prepare their own work. So it's perhaps less about direct teaching and more about discussion of an idea. Whereas a lecture, traditionally, is more about a professor presenting their ideas and explaining a certain aspect of the course, explaining a certain topic. A lot of students spend all three or four years of their undergraduate degrees, undergraduate being the first degree that you take after you leave school, postgraduate being any second or third degrees that you take on top of that. A lot of students spend their entire three or four years of their undergraduate degree living on campus, living in halls of residence. But it's quite common for students to move out during their time, often at the start of their second or third year in university. What they will tend to do is find a few friends that they want to live with and go and rent a flat or a house near the university. In British universities, social activities are quite important. There are so many opportunities for social activities and other things that you can do outside of your studies. You could take up a sport or join a club or society, play an instrument in an orchestra, write for the student newspaper, maybe there's student radio, or you could perform in a theatre group or dance troupe or whatever you want. If you can imagine it, it probably exists, and if it doesn't exist, you can just start it. At the end of your time at university, you take an exam, and if you pass that, you graduate. So you get your degree. Graduation often involves a formal ceremony. You might be expected to wear a gown or a mortarboard. It's pretty tough to explain these items of clothing and why they still exist, but if you're interested in finding out, you can look them up. Of course, I'm mostly talking about undergraduate degrees, but universities offer postgraduate degrees like master's degrees, which are normally one or two years, and PhDs, which can be as short as three years, but often take a lot longer. If you take a master's degree, that often means that you are doing some research into your topic. Not always, but sometimes it means you're doing some research. If you take a PhD, that is entirely focused on research, and you get assigned 
a supervisor or mentor who will guide you through your research process, but ultimately you're going to become the expert in whatever you decide to study. PhDs are really valued in the sciences, for example, in scientific research, but equally in academia, in universities themselves. If you want to teach in a university, then having a PhD is often essential. Of course, there are many exceptions. Speaking of exceptions, there are a few universities, or types of university, I should say, which work very differently. For example, universities specializing in the arts, music, theater, dance, and so on. Often, these institutions have different entry requirements. Perhaps an audition, if it's performance-based, or a portfolio, if you're applying for visual arts. These institutions often have different and potentially confusing names. In the UK, music universities are sometimes called music college or conservatoires. We stole the French word for that. If you study theatre or drama, you would go to drama school. So the words college and school are often used for these types of institutions, even though they are generally universities or parts of other universities. And the degrees that you take here often last a bit longer. So undergraduate degrees at music colleges, for example, are normally four years rather than three. And master's degrees are traditionally two years rather than one. There are also a few universities in the UK, which have a college system. The best known are Oxford and Cambridge, although there are some others. Oxford and Cambridge are pretty well-known universities around the world, and we often combine the two place names together to create a portmanteau word, to create Oxbridge. Oxbridge, so Oxford and Cambridge, are different in that they are a lot older than most other universities in the UK. Oxford was founded in 1096, making it one of the oldest universities in the world, and Cambridge was founded in 1209. The age of these universities means that they have a lot of traditions and a lot of aspects to them that are pretty different from universities that were founded more recently. For example, they don't teach such a wide range of subjects as other universities. They are also pretty research-heavy. In other words, they take a lot of postgraduate students and produce a lot of research every year. And they give their lecturers time to research topics. Yeah, this is a pretty unusual word because for the noun, you can pronounce it either research or research, and for the verb, you have to pronounce it research. So the accent is in a different place. To get into Oxbridge, you generally need to do an interview. You'll have other requirements as well. For example, your exam grades or perhaps a test that you have to sit. But the interview is a pretty standard entry requirement. That means 
20 minutes, half an hour, where you sit down with the professors who would be potentially teaching you and you discuss your work, you discuss the subject that you're applying for in a lot of detail and they decide at the end of that whether they want to give you a place to study or not. Most other universities in the UK don't tend to do interviews unless it's for specific subjects. Oxbridge is also unusual in that there's a college system. So this is different from the campus system that I explained before. Oxford and Cambridge are each divided up into 30-something colleges. And these colleges were founded at different times. They were set up at different times during the university's history. Colleges are different from campuses because you study there, you eat there, you sleep, you drink there, you form your social circle there, you make your friends in a college, and it really defines your life at university. Each college has its own flag, its own crest, its own colours, perhaps its own motto, and if you go to Oxbridge, you probably end up becoming quite attached to your college. So that's a short summary of Oxford and Cambridge universities, which are exceptions to a number of the rules. So let's say you want to apply to study in the UK. Well, the first thing you should do is find out which universities you want to apply to. You should start this process well in advance probably a year before you would want to actually study there. You should look at the entry requirements. In other words, what you need to achieve or need to have achieved in terms of grades or other entry requirements before you can start your course. If the grades in the entry requirements are British grades, you can find out what the parallel is in your education system to see what kind of grades you would need to get. The system that is used for applying for universities in the UK is called UCAS, U-C-A-S. And to fill in your UCAS form, you need to have references. In other words, you need people to write a short summary about your work and your achievements. And it really helps to have a decent level of English to apply. If you're listening to this and you have a rough idea of what I'm saying, then you already have a good level of English. But I would recommend that you perhaps take some kind of English exam and get a grade that proves that you have a certain level of English. If you want to know roughly what kind of level of English you would need, I would say having a high intermediate level would be a really good starting point. That means a B2 or a C1 using the CEFR. If you know what I just said, great. If you don't, then let me just explain. There's something called the Common European Framework of Reference for Languages, the CEFR. And this is used actually across the world, not just in Europe, to standardize levels of 
language. In other words, to have an idea of what level of language you are, no matter what language you're speaking. We'll go into this in more depth at some point. But the point is that you have three levels called A, B, and C. A is basic, B is intermediate, and C is advanced. Intermediate English focuses on helping people at the B level, in other words, intermediate, and trying to help them achieve a C level, in other words, advanced. You don't really need to know that to listen to this podcast, but it gives you some idea of the level that we are aiming it at. So, as I say, a good level to have is B2 or C1, in other words, a high intermediate level or an advanced level of English. Ultimately, the thing to remember is that your lectures will be in English and not in your first language. Therefore, you have to be able to understand pretty complex concepts in English. Not only that, but you're probably going to hear English all day, so you need to be confident enough speaking it to be able to chat to people in the evenings or after lectures and not to be too exhausted from listening to English during your lectures. The other thing to know about applications is that the UK is, as you probably know, in the middle of leaving the EU at the moment. So anything that I say now is kind of tied to the current events of what's called Brexit, the UK leaving the European Union. At the moment, we don't really know how that's going to affect the university sector, and I don't really want to go into a lot of detail about this because the changes are going on now and anything I say is going to be dated, it's going to be old immediately. But what I will say is that if you're a non-EU citizen, if you're from outside the European Union, probably this won't change a huge amount for university applications. If you are living in the EU and you want to study in the UK, there might be some changes in terms of the process. But still, I'm not an expert on this and it's all changing pretty quickly. So the best thing to do is to look it up and find out the situation for applying to the UK from your own country. Despite the complications of Brexit and the expense of studying in the UK, it's still a sector that is valued across the world. So if it's right for you, then it can be a really great place to study. I've done two degrees in the UK, and I think the UK has a great higher education sector. And one of the things that makes it great is it's so international. So I would, of course, encourage people from around the world to apply. I'm pretty sure you would feel really welcome in a British university. hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just as a heads up for next week, we're going to be looking at the coronavirus, something which is changing our lives very significantly as we speak. This will be a really special episode because we have an interview with Henry Lawrence and Schaefer, 
is working with the World Health Organization at the moment to help combat the disease. It's a really interesting interview and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you next week. If you enjoyed today's podcast, remember to tell your friends about it and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Stay safe, everyone, and see you next week. Na, 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 na.